Hey, everybody, thank you so much for listening to this episode of the Preacher Boys podcast. I make this show for you, and I hope that you really enjoy it. I have a lot of people that ask me how they can support the show financially, and you can do that by heading over to patreon.com slash preacherboys. You're going to get access to exclusive content, including early releases of episodes. I've got a couple episodes right now that have been released at least a month early over on Patreon. You've got access to things like unique merch, depending on what tier you join, and you get access to some behind-the-scenes content that I'm posting within the group. So head over to patreon.com slash preacherboys and become a member over there today. Every single supporter helps make this show a little bit more possible, especially as I continue to add additional episodes and content every single week. Thank you so much for tuning in. Let's get back to the show. Trigger warning. This podcast contains descriptions of various abusive situations. Listener discretion is advised. You are listening to the Preacher Boys Podcast, a podcast shedding light on decades of mental, physical, and sexual abuse within the independent fundamental Baptist movement. The testimonies shared on this podcast are told from the personal experience and perspective of the survivors. Not all legal outcomes are known or final. Any suspect is presumed innocent until proven guilty in the court of law. To find more information about the Preacher Boys podcast and upcoming documentary, visit PreacherBoysDoc.com or connect on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter with the handle at PreacherBoysDoc. Now, here is your host... Eric Skwarzynski. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to another episode of the Preacher Boys podcast. I'm so excited to have James here on the show with me. Uh, James, can you just really introduce yourself and let my listeners know uh, just how you got introduced to the IFB movement? <laughs> uh, all right. So we're going to be here for a couple minutes or a couple hours. <laughs> um, well, Ho- hopefully we, not uh, too far into the latter, but... We... Um, uh, um, I'm James Klein. I'm the pastor of uh, Freedom Baptist Church in Dundalk, Maryland. It's the outskirts of Baltimore. It's, we're not an independent fundamental Baptist church. We are a Baptist church, but um, and we are independent, but I don't call us independent fundamental Baptist church on purpose. The um, I really got introduced to the more cultic section of the independent fundamental Baptist when I was at Hiles Anderson. It's your choice. Will you choose to be the one? For 39 years, Hiles Anderson College has been training men and women to do just that, to be the one. Purpose, passion, and commitment are the core values of Hiles Anderson College. It's kind of funny how I uh, ended up there. Uh, uh, my my um, youth pastor was completely against Hiles Anderson, so I ended up going there out of rebellion against my youth pastor. And... <laughs> Um, and that's uh, how I ended up there. I ended up graduate. Go ahead. How, how did, how did that work? Usually it's, well, <laughs> it's rebellion to not go to Hiles Anderson. So how'd you end up there as an act of rebellion? They, um, my, uh, my church was completely anti Hiles Anderson. They were mm-hmm. on the Bob Jones side. They were on the, uh, ambassador Baptist Cup Bible college side. They were all in that, in that wheelhouse. So, um, and they thought the music at Hiles Anderson was really, really liberal. So, okay. uh, so, so they in some cases, they were even farther to the extreme. But um, so I, I went to a youth conference a couple of times there. And, um, I liked the place. I liked it. I liked the energy. You know, people mm-hmm. seemed excited. People yeah. seemed hyped. So I was like, oh, man, this is a place I want to go. So uh, I want, I'm kind of a hyper guy. 
you know me and kind of an upbeat guy. So I kind of want to go place where there's some hyper action going on. So that's how I ended up uh, rebelling against my youth pastor and ending up at Hiles Anderson uh, uh, in spite of his many, many protests uh, mm-hmm. against, against it. So, yeah. Interesting. Well, what was that like? Cause I know, I mean, obviously it was a little bit different environment, but what was it like kind of arriving there and like getting into the Hiles Anderson culture as it were? Um, like what was the college experience like there? You know, I adapted pretty well. I had a good, um, I had a good uh, roommates and some of my roommates are even still my friends uh, today. Um, I never really had a bad roommate my entire time when I was there. So mm-hmm. that really affected a whole lot. Uh, I did have to hide a lot of who I was. And uh, for example, I've never really been King James only. Uh, right. So, of course, Hiles Anderson, if you if you even breathe uh, the NIV in your sleep, you're going to get expelled. So, um, but um, uh, I, I thought I adapted pretty well. Um, I ended up becoming a bus captain there after, after a year and, um, you know, just pretty much flew with the radar and uh, did what they asked me to do and didn't really complain too much. I noticed a couple things that were really off, uh, like when I was in chapel one time and uh, one of the, uh, leadership, I don't want to mention his name, but he gets up and someone says, someone gets up uh, our freshman year and says, well, what if we want to know why we have to obey these rules? And the guy said, well, you don't need to ask questions, just do it. And you'll understand later. Of course, that's the textbook cult answer. So, um, those, those things popped up in my mind, but I didn't really see an issue to cause many problems. Uh, I did complain a couple of times about my education, and, and I have since then to where I didn't learn a whole lot from college. Yeah. I, <laughs> the, the um, hermeneutics lacked greatly. In fact, I remember a time I tell people this story. I was sitting in the class and uh, if I said the teacher's name, everyone would know who it is. I'm not going to say it cause I don't want to embarrass the guy because uh, he's still a friend of mine, <laughs> but we were, um, we were sitting in class and we had to write a paper on the doctrine of the Holy spirit. And I'm like, I'm going to go complete out on this paper. And I went, uh, and I went all out. I references and, titles and, and, and sub points and all that kind of thing. And I spent hours on this paper uh, and turned it in, got an A plus. Well, I noticed my neighbor, uh, my person sitting next to me, a really good friend of mine, even today um, gets a paper back. He forgot to do the report mm-hmm. until the day of. So he prints out a paper says, I don't believe in this doctrine, turns it in with a cover sheet. He gets an A plus on it as well. And I was like, what? Obviously the, the professor didn't read anything. He just, right wrote a hundred percent if you did the paper. So that's the education was really, really lacking. Uh, but they did teach you how to work. So I can't right. complain about that. They taught the importance of, uh, of laboring for the ministry and, and doing things for God. Uh, and all my education came after the fact with my own personal study. Right. <laughs> so, right. Cool. So, um, yeah, your story, I mean, obviously, and I know a lot of people who are familiar with you would know, like, I brought you on to talk about agape, which has been a, a of course. big, I mean, that's a, been a big topic of discussion the last couple of months. Um, w- you have a unique experience in the sense of most people who were on the staff side, like you were started as students and then ended up just staying because where do you go? Like, what do you do after, you know, spending your teenage years, like learning this environment? Um, but your experience is different in the sense of you were actually went and got hired at agape after college. So as an adult, um, what kind of opened that door to you working there? Like, how did you, how did they find out about you or you find out about them and, and the two of you kind of come together? Great question. I, I was at college and, um, and, uh, I had nowhere I was going because my senior year, second semester, I know where I was going. And of course those 
wheelhouse start running. I don't want to work true green and lawn care the rest of my life. Was your original goal pastoring or something at college? No. Okay. Not at all. My original goal was I wanted to be a youth worker, a youth minister. Um, And I, um, so I got my degree was in youth ministry, youth counseling, youth ministry. So I'm thinking, where can I go? that's going to help uh, teenagers out. Well, we had this guy, Rich Kazak, who was a president at the time uh, of the school of Agape boarding school. He came to college and he gets up in front of the whole student body and says, Hey, we're looking for staff members to help troubled teenage boys get their life on track. And of course I'm thinking, wow, dream job. All right, this would be great. Uh, and that's what went through my mind. I'm like, man, so what I want to do help teens, uh, get their life on track. And man, I'm like, Oh, then this is great. So man, chapel was over and they had a meeting room and I got up and I booked out the door. I'm like, man, I got to meet this guy, man. I got to get in on this thing. So I meet him. Uh, we have a discussion uh, about agape, and he asked what my heart is. I told him what my major was and what my desire was, and and we agreed that it might be a good thing for me to come down and te- check out the school for a week. So for spring break, my senior year, instead of going home to my family, I went down to agape for a weekend. Uh, and what I saw, uh, really, um, like wow, this is awesome. Man, these, mm-hmm. of course, you didn't see, you didn't know the behind the scenes stuff yet. Um, you don't, you don't see how things work. They, of course, they paint a good picture. They're trying to get new staff members and they need new staff members. So man, you're meeting these boys and, and they're of course all talking positive about the school to me and come to find out they have to, you know, they, they can't yeah. talk negative about the school to people. Uh, I didn't know that at the time. Um, you know, you, you, there wasn't really any big incidents when I was there, when I was there for the week working as a, you know, as a, uh, prospective staff member, there were no fights, no brawls, no one getting body slammed, no one going to the intake room, none of that kind of stuff when I was there. So there was really no red flags except for, oh man, this is great. I'm here. Mm-hmm. I'd love to come down. You know, I seen I had a good relationship. I, I started fostering a good relationship with uh, Kathy Clemenson um, and uh, Jim Clemenson. I started fostering a good relationship with him, talked to, with him, met with them. And, um, and Kathy really, really liked me, really liked me. And, uh, and I can talk about more in that in later and how that relationship ended up changing for the worse. Um, but, um, and I decided this is what I want to do. Mm. And I met with Rich Kazak at the end of my week. And he says, so what do you think? I said, this is amazing. I would love this. He said, really? And that, 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 sh- that shocked him. Uh, Cause I guess not most, most people don't give him that response. And I can't kind of find out most people don't give him that response after I saw more prospective staff members coming and going. Uh, while I was working there and I said, I love, I love to. So if you guys would have me, I'd love to come down here and work. And that's how I ended up getting hired a couple months later, uh, May 4th, uh, 2012. I was there for my first day. Hmm. Wow. So. And what was, did anything change that first day or, or what was that honeymoon period where you were like, Oh, this is exactly what I thought. This is kind of the picturesque brochure version of this place. It was about probably about three months. Okay. Um, you know, you're, 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 you're learning, you're getting the little training that they did do. And, uh, I, I went there and I was engaged to my wife. We weren't married yet. Hmm. So, um, I was living in the, um, the, the single staff dorms with, uh, uh, staff member named Justin, Justin Rarick and, uh, Nathan Comstock, who was a blue shirt there, who was an intern at the time for a summer hmm. just to get uh, some college credit and, uh, go ahead. Yeah. Just before you move on, um, what you said, what little training, like what training was there? Like what for staff members, like what, what training did you get before being able to like really dive in and start working? Very little, very little. They, it was more on the side of, 
uh, daily schedules. You always got to be watching. The, they always say the phrase, watch the boys, watch the boys, watch the boys. And, hmm. um, so it's more know, learning sure. the program than learning like techniques for, you know, de-escalating things or like CPR type stuff or Correct. basic. Okay. Correct. Yeah. No, 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 I did not have CPR at the time. I, I, I did end up becoming a medic while on staff. Okay. Uh, an EMT medic. Um, and that, that was after talking to the leadership and saying, Hey, I'd love to get involved in this side They the school actually gave me time off, paid time off to go take medic classes. Um, but that, that didn't happen at the start, of course. Okay. So it was very little training and I'll be honest, I'm not trying to you know toot my own horn or pat myself on the bat at all, back at all. I didn't need much help in de-escalating situation. It's always been a strong suit of mine. Um, and which, which really, um, set me and a couple other staff members apart from the main group of staff members who just escalated situations. Uh, I was one of the few that they used to de-escalate angry students because mm. it's never really been hard on me, but as a normal training, they didn't really do that. Um, at the start, they implemented something later um, called nonviolent crisis intervention, um, which is something they use in public schools, something that they use in juvenile, uh, facilities and i'm all for that i thought it was great mm -hmm. you know it, instead of the, the the old j and mct restraint or however ever you say it instead of body slamming someone and restraining it was more of just painlessly immobilizing the student with their arms so they can't couldn't swing and it was one staff member on the arm one staff member on another arm and it was just so they couldn't fight and no pain no body slamming i said the juvenile detention centers use it Hmm. But the problem is we got trained in it. We all got licensed in it, but we never, ever used it. Right. <laughs> so it, it, people still did the old restraints. Hmm. So, but yeah, that was to answer the question about training. Sure. Okay. So, um, yeah. So kind of moving on into that three month period, like what was the first thing? And I have to assume too, especially given the nature of where you're at, um, you know, and dealing with at that point you're you're thinking everybody there is coming from these pretty crazy backgrounds and i know from talking with people there were people at agape who were former gang members all the way down to people who their parents were just really strict and they had done something stupid like really really meaningless and got sent here so there was a very broad range of people so i have to assume when you do start seeing a couple things like a violent outburst or something like that I would assume, because this is how I would be, I got to assume you would justify it as like, oh, well, look at the type of people we're working with. You're going to have yep. these kind of situations come up. Um, at what point did you actually like recognize like, hey, something's a little bit off here. Like this isn't just a weird side effect of the type of work we're doing. This is actually kind of strange, this one incident. Or, or was it 100%. a couple different incidents that happened? It was, it was more over time. It was over time that, that took place. Of course, you're there. You see kids getting restrained every once in a while. And it didn't happen a whole lot my first couple months there. I'll be honest. It, it, more my second and third year, there were a lot more. And that was just based upon the type of students we were getting in or different students. Some students, sometimes we had a student body that caused more problems as opposed to others. Right. Uh, but my first couple months, it wasn't a whole lot. And you're right. It's easy to justify it in your mind. Um, you know, it, you're these kids who are, you know, gang members, and you, you lump them all into that, into that circle. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And, and no matter what they did, they're all gang members, drug pushers, alcohol abusers, and uh, no matter what they did. And then you had some kids uh, who were there for literally not making their bed. We had one kid that he wasn't, he didn't make his bed enough times. So he got sent to Agape. Mm -hmm. And so now we're lumping this guy who did practically nothing 
uh, into the category with the gang members. We have one kid right now who's a Southern gospel singer named Caleb Kelly. Well, he seems more country now, but that kid caused no problems at all. Mm. He, would, he just kind of rebelled a little bit against, against his uh, family at home. And uh, I got really close to this kid when he was there. He caused zero problems the whole time he was there. And not because he was just playing the system, because he wasn't a bad kid. Yeah. Um, it, he was worse than me. as a, No, he was way better than me as a teenager. <laughs> right. and, uh, and this kid just got sent there because he, his music style was not as good as his parents. Or maybe he talked back one too many times to his dad. And he gets there. So um, uh, and when I started seeing a lot of that, I started putting some pieces together, but what really got to me was when I started seeing some staff members, more, more of the gruff, angry ones, you know, they're, they, they would always think the good cop, bad cop mentality. Mm-hmm. And I, of course me, I'm on the good cop side. And there are some people who were on the bad cop side, but what I would see is these staff members yelling at these kids in their face and these kids not being allowed to respond or not being mm-hmm. allowed to be frustrated. They just had to take it. And if they didn't take it, then or they got angry, then they got sent to the intake room. I'm talking about staff members who are grown adults who should know better, um, getting angry at these teenagers, complete angry, screaming at them. And then it's my job to de-escalate the teenager. Right. You know, the teenager, you know, I, I have First Corinthians 13 um, open and I see, you know, 13, 4, charity suffereth long and is kind, chariot envy and not chariot vaunted itself it's not puffed up it does not behave itself unseemly and and when i when i was quoted by the kansas city star as by saying that these actions are not loving actions this is what i'm talking about they had staff was puffed up could never admit this they could never admit they were wrong and they had no patience yeah Um, agape prides itself on agape love but there was no agape love because they're in violation of first corinthians 13 sure so um yeah, what, but you it, say, it, go ahead. I was, was going to say, what would you say the breakdown is of like the good cop and bad? I mean, I think that's interesting. Like, did you feel like it was kind of split down the middle staff wise? Like there was half were really earnestly trying to, you know, be helpful and, and actually make a difference versus, you know, I, I, I say this about every situation where you're in a authoritative position like this. Um, whether it's pastoring, whether it's a police officer, military, in, anything where you have a high amount of authority, you know, you either have one of two people. You have the people that are genuinely like they just feel like they're born to help and they want to they want to protect and serve kind of thing. And then you also have a lot of people who love the chance to stomp on somebody, <laughs> you know, like there's there's really, you're, you're right. you know, there's always a risk of that person coming in. So at Agape, would you say that like, there was two or three that were like just really aggressive and bad and the rest were pretty good. Or would you say it was kind of split? Like what was kind of the breakdown there? You had some staff that were really good. Um, you know, I, if, if I, I could show you my messages and, and the students give me names of the good staff mm-hmm. members and um, what, but there were some that weren't, but then there were some that didn't care either way. Yeah. They didn't, they didn't fit in any category. I wish the Kansas city star included this quote. I tell us to everybody I, I give interviews to or, or talk to about agape. Uh, you know, agape really greatly misquoted me in, when, in their response. Um, if, if you look at their response and read the response, uh, that their quote that I said, if you look at the Kansas star article, I never said that quote. Hmm. Uh, it was completely opposite. They said that I said that they faked that they love these students. Hmm. And I never said that. 
I really believe a lot. I believe majority of the staff members genuinely care, majority, not all, genuinely care about the outcomes of the students. They are just grossly underqualified to deal with them. Mm. Um, yeah. I, I, had, I had a message with uh, from another staff member, and I'm not going to give people's names, uh, just today. And, and they said, who do you think that you are? You know, you never had teenagers. You know, we raise teenagers and we're dealing with them. Well, of course we're qualified. Raising teenagers of your own does not qualify you right. uh, from helping trouble teenagers. Uh, that requires education. That requires a different mindset. That requires uh, licensures um, uh, and studying and, and dealing with these teens on a more, on a different level than um, just yelling at them and forcing them to behave. I'm a pastor. I see the importance of scripture memorization. I see the importance of all that. But when you have a Muslim kid who's being forced to learn scripture, it's, it's, it's making him more angry as opposed to right. helping him. Yeah. Yeah. There's a lot there. I think unqualified is a, um, that's a, that's a situation that you see in a lot of these homes. When you start looking, um, I know heal, heal dash online. Um, they have a lot yes. of information on a bunch of different homes. And when you, Almost any show I've had, I, I look it up just to get a basic perfunctory kind of look at like the names of staff and, and like the, the part that's always shocking is they have a section for qualifications and it's often none, none, none. Um, I think Agape, I did that live with someone. I don't think we ever released episode, but, um, but we did, I was like none, 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 all the way down the list and people in positions where they should have some kind of crisis counseling training. They should have some kind of trauma therapy background they should have right. the ability to you know to talk in these situations because i mean let's be real too i mean like you said raising a teenager where you know them you're you're creating the environment is so different than taking someone at the point someone's in a gang it's clear that they probably have experienced some kind of severe yeah. trauma or right. there's some there's some mental issue there that's creating 100%. that that longing for that so um yeah, I mean, so so the way of dealing with things, it seems like, was you had the people that were just a little bit calmer and less aggressive, and then you had the people who were extremely aggressive and, and I guess, forceful is the right word? Is that the, is that the right word? to? Oh, yeah, forceful and controlling, definitely. Okay. Yeah. Uh, but they were even that way towards staff members. Interesting. Uh, okay. it, yeah, it, it, you know, there, there is a huge group of staff members right now who want to speak out, but they're still waiting on confirmation that the NDA is not legally valid, mm -hmm. that most staff members are forced to sign. Um, I, can, I can think of um, an individual, I can't say who it is, just for legal purposes, I don't want to get the guy in trouble, but he had a hurt leg and, 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 and he was hurting really bad, and messed it up and hurt knee. And, and the staff member in charge of him made him, uh, one of the more controlling ones, made him walk around the student body, you know, as a staff member who's hurting, who's injured, you're talking about an injured staff member who needs to get, go get help, especially if he got hurt on the job. Um, yeah. But no, his mindset, the, 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 staff, the, man, the supervisor's mindset was, your pain can't be worse than my knee pain, so you need to get up and you need to walk around the student body uh, and, and watch him. And that's the kind of stuff staff members went through as well. Mm. That's why you see a super high staff turnover rate at schools like that. Yeah. Super high. Uh, I don't, I don't know. I know very, very few staff members from my time there who are still there hmm. uh, because of being treated like that. Right. So um, you mentioned uh, like obviously the intake room and, and um, yeah. or is that, is, is that the same as the restraint room that Amanda messaged? Yes. Just different yes. name. Okay. Um, yes. So how frequently was it 
a physical, I know you said the first few months it wasn't extremely physical. There wasn't a lot, but when you were there, like, uh, like a year in, how frequent would you say like the more physical punishments were? Well, the, the more, as I got more trust with other staff members and uh, some of the more ones that dealt with the, the worst students, I ended up being one of those. I ended up being one of the staff members that dealt with the students who didn't want to do schoolwork. My job was to get these students who didn't want to do schoolwork to do geometry and algebra uh, because I could do it. And that was my, that was my, my skill set. So um, when that started happening and I, um, I, uh, I started getting, seeing how some of the, those students were treated outside of school, you know, Browntown, mm-hmm. um, which of course people hear the intake room. I want to say, so we call it the intake room or the, uh, the padded room. That was, um, they actually, I didn't mind so much how they had the padded room laid out. I didn't like when they did the restraints um, during the padded room, but I didn't mind so much their policy for padded room as opposed to places like Circle of Hope and all these other mm-hmm. legacy ranch and things like that to where these kids were pretty much just thrown in isolation. That, yeah. that, that didn't happen at Agape. So I got to give them credit where credit is due. Um, whenever a kid was put in an intake room, they were always monitored in there with a staff member and another student. So there was never just one uh, mm-hmm. a student by themselves uh, at all with any staff member. That just didn't happen. You, mm-hmm. you, you were not to be alone with students at all which I got to give them credit for that, that, you know, they did a lot of bad stuff. I give them credit where credit's due. Um, so now when it got to the restraints, I started, I think I was part of my first restraint. It must've been after about five or six months after I got married. When I got married it was really the turning point in the relationship with me and Kathy Clemenson. Kathy Clemenson completely despised my wife, completely despised mm-hmm. her. Um, and for any uh, specific reason, like, or when we, when we first got there, um, the first week we're still moving everything. Well, when my wife first got there and they, they gave us a house as opposed to me staying in a single dorm, I had a house now for, on, on campus. Uh, we were still packing things up. Kathy Clemenson said, Hey, um, can you, um, I, I, I want your wife to, to work around the campus. Staff wives were forced labor, forced unpaid labor on campus. Mm-hmm. Staff wives are required to work on campus for, I can't remember now. I think it's like 10 hours a week. I can't remember hundred percent, but I think it's like 10 hours a week that they are forced to work on campus without any pay. They, mm. do, they do receive a gift in their husband's names of like a hundred bucks um, every month paid to their husband. So it is forced labor. Otherwise, as they say, your husband will be fired. No. <laughs> and that's, so it's forced labor. So um, what, what my wife told her, no, I don't want to do that right now. I don't want to be a part of that. And uh, that, was like, you're standing up to me. And they, she ended up forcing her to do based upon, Hey, do you want to lose your house? Do you want to lose your paycheck? Do you want to lose your home? Uh, do you want to lose everything you have and be homeless? And that's what so my wife's like, Oh, I don't want that. So my, then my wife started cleaning the nursery, helping in the kitchen and doing things like that. Though I'll be begrudgingly. Um, she did get involved a little bit, but ever since that moment, my, my wife actually tried. My wife will tell you she tried. She vies for leadership's approval. My wife did. My wife would go into the office and just sit with Kathy Clemenson and just try to have a good relationship without any success. And um, she ended up giving up on that. Um, and uh, right before we got fired, I got fired from the school. Uh, we, I was sitting across the desk from Kathy and Jim Clemenson, 
Um, you know, they call her ma'am there. I refuse to call her ma'am. I don't give her that respect. So people call her ma'am. I don't call her that. A Kathy Clemenson and Jim Clemenson all you know, admitted that they despised my wife. Hmm. And uh, two weeks later, uh, we were um, we were fired. And, and, and I quote, not because of, of any lack of character or job performance on your part, uh, but it was, they, my, my, your wife isn't happy here. And mm. you didn't sign the NDA form that we required you to sign. Mm. So um, that was a term. I, I don't even know if I answered your question at this point. No, I, no, I, no. I, I, I could talk for hours about adopting <laughs> a whole bunch of different things. No, no, no. So, You're yeah. fine. No, so, so um, yeah, I mean, I was just curious. I wanted to, I wanted to ask about that, but, but. So the, so the way I had it set up, the, the restraint room's purpose was if a kid was really just like physically acting out, they would go there, right? That's, is that the no. only reason? Okay. Not, not the only reason. Okay. If, if one, of the, one of the administration staff, school admin, or uh, you know, a dean of students, or just didn't, wasn't happy with the student, or just talked back, it'd be intake room. And uh, uh, they'd be sent back to the intake room. Could be for two hours, could be an hour, could be three or four days, and the, depending and- on... And the student, goal there yeah. was for them to cool. Like, Com- what was, what was comply. the goal? Okay, so just basically to say, okay, I'm going to do what I was told to do. Basically, correct. That and was- it wasn't even to cool down. Some of the students that had to go back there weren't even angry. They just go to the intake room. Hmm. Okay. And then, it, and so the setup of it being padded. What was the point of that? I mean, it was just in case they were being more physical, or was it like? I'm just trying to, because I, because I mean, I've heard obviously this the stories mm-hmm. negatively about it, where you know it became more of like a, a rough them up room than a than a restraint room, but um, the the way it was supposed to be utilized was essentially to have them go there to basically comply, um, but it right. often, but it often with the staff got more aggressive than that, more physically aggressive. Yes, yes, depending on the staff members, of course. You know, uh-huh. there were some staff who were. I said we were great with the students, you know, and, and had no problem with the students. Um, but yet, of course, you had some students who would be in the intake room and they would fight. I was sitting in the intake room one time and with a kid and he, uh, with the other student that was next to me. And this kid, he just snapped and started beating the living daylight out of the other student in there. Um, so I didn't try to restrain him myself. Um, I think the student might have been stronger than me anyways. But uh, I just separated the fight. And I'm lucky I didn't get attacked in that case. I right. just called for more staff. Staff came in and restrained them. Uh, I'm not talking about things, you know, that, that, that I understand that does happen. Um, and, and there are some times where a student had to be restrained because right. he started trying to beat somebody up and um, for little reasons or a student got mad. I remember one student got mad that he, um, um, that he failed the test. So he gets up and starts ru- running around the uh, school and he punches the, uh, the soap dispensers off the, um, off the wall and um, started punching holes in walls and they had to take him in here. He's fighting back and they had to put him on the ground for a restraint. I understand those type of situations. Yeah, when it's for protection. Stuff, yeah. Exactly. For protections of other students. Yeah. Uh, even more on, even then staff members, because you get 150 teenage boys together. They have a disagreement. How do boys deal with disagreements? They fight. No. Um, but yeah, it was for, um, um, you know, restraining if need be. And, um, and that's, that's pretty much why the floor was padded. Just in case the student needed to go down the ground, they didn't hit the floor and hit it hard to break a nose or break an arm or break a leg or whatever like that. Sure, got it. So, um, yeah, I mean, I know you. I know you said as you kind of were there more and you started seeing more. Um, you know, you kind of got to know the inner workings a little bit. Um, one thing that's 
one thing that you mentioned was when you initially visited, there were a lot of people who weren't, um, who talked to you and were like praising the school, like students. And you kind of said now, you know, like they couldn't say anything negative or derogatory about the school. Um, can you, can you talk a little bit about that? And just when people would come visit, like how they kept things looking neat and clean when, you know, even when like government people would come in to check out the school, there was a, there's pretty strong kind of method to kind of keep all that stuff in check. Of course. Um, Government, anybody was not allowed to come into school without a prior notice. They were not allowed to, and they were able to come in with a, um, a point in time, even health inspectors couldn't just show up because of the religious exemptions, right? Correct. Okay. Correct. Correct. Now that was then, I'm not sure what it is now. I I don't think it has changed. I can't imagine it's changed yet, but, um, but you know, my wife worked in the kitchen for some time, and she would walk in the, the freezer room and the refrigerator and she would see, you know, raw meat sit next to cooked meat that they was going to be, they were going to serve that night to the students and uh, raw chicken next to cooked chicken, things like that, that they would see clear health violations, very clear health violations that um, when they found that health inspector were coming, they had students come in there and everything got cleaned up for when the inspector came and took a look, passed it off and left. Same thing with um, the ACE curriculum. You know, they, um, the ACE inspectors would come in. And we would make sure we have all our books and all our stuff ready to go for the inspection. And, um, and then after the inspection was done every year, we yeah, go back to the way we do things. Um, when parents came in, there was a couple of big parent visits every single year. I can't remember exactly how many, but the whole week before that, man, it was spring clean time, the whole facility. Mm-hmm. And, and that's what was done. So they, they would always straighten things up before big parent visits and they would make sure things looked good, make sure things looked nice, make sure things looked clean. We were not allowed, the staff was not allowed to yell at students in front of parents. Hmm. Okay. And uh, if students misbehaved while there were parents there, you know, it was automatic intake room, automatic, you know, so there's really a big appearance. If you notice in Agape's response, I'm not sure if you've read it or not yet. I'm sure you have. Uh, they said, of course, no, there's a no current student or staff uh, thinks negatively about the school. Well, of course, right. <laughs> of course, no current uh, staff member. Uh, but well, I, I take that I, there, there could be a current staff member. You just don't know it. Um, and number two, of course, no student's going to say anything about it, about it. They don't want retribution. Right. They don't want anybody yeah. to because all, all their letters were um, read beforehand and they were sent back if they were negative. All their letters were read to them before they before they were were read before they gave to the student. Sometimes the student didn't even get their own mail because something in it wasn't approved. Or something right. like that. So, right, and just from the staff side, because I I do want to try to understand the position of someone like you at the time, who's who's there and seeing this, and you know, I mean, obviously now looking back, you're thinking like, oh, we kind of just like just swept everything out that looked bad to keep up appearances, but uh, you know, one one thing I always wrestle with, I think that I think it's very rare that someone intentionally. I want to be careful how I say this. It's very rare that someone thinks they're doing the wrong thing. It's very, it's very rare that someone thinks that, you know, like it's very rare someone does somebody says, oh, I'm going to cover up that I, you know, can be abusive toward kids or I'm trying to cover up that, you know, we handle things incorrectly. So in your mind as a staff member, obviously like your goal was to try to help, you know, when it came time for those big spring cleaning moments, how did you rectify that? Like when you're sitting there going like, oh, we're trying to like do things differently than we normally do. 
like how did you handle that in your own mind and process kind of those t- that dichotomy of how you acted when someone was there versus when they weren't of course it honestly that that was one of my one of my least concerns when i was <laughs> when i was there um my whole mindset was if someone's coming to your house what are you going to do before they come over yeah spring clean everything up so i didn't think anything really of it to be honest at the time when i was there um it wasn't something that popped up in my mind or thought about they um but you're right you know in regards to doing things no one ever wants to admit they did things wrong something i want to point out before i forget in regards to that same topic of what you just said um you know if you go to agape they have detailed write-ups for everything that happened uh but they would teach you as a staff member to do all the write-ups like you did nothing wrong Hmm. and uh, so if you look at so they said we have records of all the restraints and all the riots and everything but you won't have the fact that the staff member escalated the situation or you won't have anything the staff member did wrong in that that way the staff member doesn't get legally charged so the write-ups are enhancedly biased against the student towards and they would teach you to do your write-ups like that i want to make sure i i touch that uh, yeah i mean that's a a pretty big deal (laughs) um when you're keeping records one-sided um yeah, that's that's super interesting. And I mean, the justification there was just like, if something wrong happens, we get shut down or, you know, we're not able to help or, you know, that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, interesting. So, so did you have a sense near the end that you were getting near the end of your time there? Like, was your goal to be there long term? Um, or did you kind of in that? I mean, because I, we, we had a very short I mean, we had a very short like ministry stint and it was very sudden and we're like, Oh, we thought things were fine. And they obviously weren't. And then two weeks later we're scrambling Um, for you. Was it kind of a slow process where you realize like they're either going to fire me or I'm going to leave or what was kind of the, what was kind of the vibe there for the last year or so? Yeah. Yeah. No doubt. (laughs) No doubt at all. The the tension between me and the um, uh, administration. And I can't even say, the lower administration is more the right. higher administration kind of got um, very, very strained. A lot of it was due to my wife's relationship with Kathy and that didn't help a whole lot. Um, but I knew my time was coming there to an end. Uh, in fact, I was already putting my resume out at churches to leave. Mm-hmm. Uh, I wanted to have a place I was going. In fact, I got a call from my current church um, that I'm at now while I was on staff there saying, Hey, would you want to check it out? And that was pretty much a couple of weeks before I got fired. Hmm. Um, but, um, and I had another church in Arkansas I was looking at that I was in discussion with at the same time. So I knew my time there was coming to a close and a lot of it was because of the NDA that hmm. I refused to sign to where they brought it. They put it on our desks. My, my brother was still, my brother left a couple months before I did, might've been six or seven months. My brother was on staff as well, my twin. And he, um, he signed it and his wife signed it. And my wife and I refused to sign it. I don't, mm. at a principle, I don't sign NDA. <laughs> I don't sign NDAs at a principle. Um, but um, then a couple months later, it was on my table. Hey, you have to sign this or you could lose your job. A couple months later, it was on my table again. You have to sign this or you, you'll lose your job. And um, so I knew that was kind of leading towards, okay, I'm not going to sign this NDA. So they're going to fire me. And um, now the, the day it happened, I didn't expect it. I once, well, I take that back. I take that back. When I heard the phrase, when I heard over the radio, uh, clients uh, report to Graves office. I knew it. I knew it was it. I knew I was done. 
thought they're going to say, "Hey, this is your last week," but they said, "This is your last day. You're going to be done after today." And uh, they asked me to resign, uh, which I refused. I wasn't going to resign. To their credit, they did pay me for a month of not working to help me move. Because uh, I told them, "Listen, you're going to fire me. You don't pay us enough. Staff member staff there gets paid below the poverty level. I want to make sure I point that out to people." Uh, regular staff there gets paid below the poverty level. So when Agape writes that the staff gets paid little, you're right, they do get paid little and it's on purpose. They want the staff members to be able to qualify for government assistance. They they will tell you that. Well, they told the staff members, I'm not sure if they'll tell you that, but they told the staff members they want us to get paid little for government assistance. I said, hey, I got no money. I can't can't even leave if I wanted to. Mm. And uh, so they, they did say, hey, we'll give you one more month pay to get you out of here. So I gotta give them, I gotta give them a woohoo, yeah, thank you for that. But, but when I, they asked me to, to resign and, uh, and I refused to resign. So of course that means it was a fired, I was fired. Hmm. So, right. Um, so uh, regarding the NDA thing, was that something they talked yeah. about when you were initially hired or is it something they decided on? Was it something they were doing before you got there that you're aware of? No, was it was probably put in more towards my start of my second year. Which would be around in. what time period? This would be like early. Um, 15, uh, uh, 14, maybe early spring 2014. Okay, gotcha. And did pretty much everybody else sign that you're aware of? Yes, everyone else that I'm aware of signed it. Got so. it. But Got it, it. it sat on my table. It sat on my table the entire time. I, I, I didn't sign it. And we still have it. We still, I still have the copy of it <laughs> unsigned, which is funny. Can I tell a funny story real quick? Sure, yeah. Okay, I think I think you'll enjoy this. In fact, the Kansas City Star reporter laughed her head off at this. Um, I was I was on staff here at the church I'm currently at as the youth pastor, and of course, people call me Pastor James, Pastor James, and and I get a phone call one day after I'd put my review, initial review about Agape out on Yelp. I get a phone call one day, and I answer the church phone, and they say, "Hey, this is Pastor," and they say, "Oh, this is Pastor. This is um, this is uh, man, what's his name?" Uh, Joe Grande uh, from Agape Boarding School, Pastor Joe Grande from Agape Boarding School. And I'm like, hey, what's up? And they said, is James a member there? I'm like, <laughs> well, they're talking to me. They thought they were talking to my pastor, but they're talking to me. And I'm like, yeah, James is a member here. Well, let me tell you what this guy's been doing. And uh, starts telling me everything and then says, now I want you to know, and this is, this is the big thing. I want to let you know that we do have the option of legally pursuing him and suing him because of the NDA that he signed. So then I said, well, let me give you a call back. I hung up. Um, then I called him back and said, well, yeah, I just talked to James. <laughs> and, uh, and he said he never signed it in the NDA. So and said, he said, in fact, he still has that NDA. Um, and, uh, <laughs> and uh, so the end of the conversation, and I knew what they're, they wanted me to be quiet. They, they were trying to threaten me to be quiet. So I wouldn't yeah. say anything negative about the school. Uh, so they still don't know that that was me on the phone. And if someone from the school listens to this, know now you when know. They listen. That's right. Now yeah. you know. I know. I know what their mindset is. I have friends and other staff members right now who have been threatened by the school to keep their mouth shut. Have they and, ever uh, pursued and, legal action or no? Or do you think it's all I talk? I don't know. You know, it it could be all talk. Uh, I don't know. I'm expecting that if they do, it's going to be against me soon. Right. Um, and no one's uh, really actually, rushing to find out if they are serious or not. I'm sure when they no, get that call, no. it usually probably stops right there. Usually it didn't stop us, but no. the, um, you know, I'm actually waiting <laughs> for the Christian law association to give me a phone call is what I'm waiting for. 
And I'm excited for that phone call. If it does happen, I'm going to be like, wait, you're going to help us. You're going to help a school sue a pastor CLA. Is that what you're going to do? Uh, and, uh, and then, uh, I'm actually waiting to see if that happens. Cause I got my own issue with the CLA. And of course most people do and to see, and then to put them on blast on social media, if they try to take that case against a pastor, All right. you know, we'll see. Well, uh, I mean, stranger things have happened. Uh, so it wouldn't, yeah, be, you're the, right. you're 100% it wouldn't be the most egregious, strange thing that they've been involved with. So uh, I, I don't think, I don't think they'll have a case, even if they tried because no. libel cases are really hard to win to begin with. Number one, uh, but I'm well, they can't disprove what I'm saying. Right. Well, that's, that's the reality of it. And that's where, um, and I've talked about this before and like, it's probably dumb to even talk about it because it, I think it yeah. just invites things. But like one thing I've just told a lot of people is, you know, it's very possible. I, when I started the show, you know, I've, I told people like, it's very possible that at some point, some church that, you know, wants to spend the time is going to you know, send something or, you know, send a letter, cease and desist and all. And, and, you know, and that's something I had to come to terms with before I hit record on the first episode, like this might happen. Um, But, you know, but also, like you said, it's very hard to prove. And it's also another thing it it's going to invite an investigation to verify whether the information is correct. And I, I feel very confident that, the reason that I haven't gotten a call or a letter or anything like that is that the people who I'm talking about, even, even if, even if, and of course, when you're doing a hundred hours of a podcast, the chance of something being a, a, just did a correction for a video where a detail was incorrect or a timeline was off, even that's going to happen. But for a pastor to say like where there's some kind of wrongdoing or abuse happening, which everyone I've covered, I could find there is something there. There's a truth there. You know, those pastors that run churches like that don't want to invite a full-on investigation to what they're doing to confirm which part of the abuse is accurate. And so, you know, and so I think, I think just speaking to people again, I'm not a lawyer. So if you do this and get sued, don't blame (laughs) me. But, um, but you know, like with people, I'm just always like, if you know what you're saying is true and you know, don't let someone scare you out of sharing your story because the chance, I mean, I, I had, I've had a couple of people that have not come on the show who I've talked to, you know, beforehand and they've just expressed concerns about that. I'm just like, I'm going to get sued before you get sued. So, it, you know, if you're, you're the one doing the broadcast, <laughs> right. It, you know what I mean? And I'm just like, you need to, you need to understand like the, the, and again, this is probably jinxing myself, but I'm like the fact that I haven't, and I'm now a year into this, I think speaks to a lot to the validity of, the statements that are being made yeah. and also just beyond that like you know ag- again i'm i'm also just from another layer of this i'm also basically reporting what people are sharing with me so there's a lot of layers to this where like the amount of the amount of drama that would have to go through to try to do some basic lawsuit would be pretty insane i'm not saying that there's someone who won't do it and i actually asked a lawyer um uh, who i was talking to and i said so so do you think do you think I'll be sued over this? And he was like, Oh, absolutely. He's like, it's just he's like, he's like, I don't know when he's like, but at some point somebody's going to try doing something. And I was Why? like, thank, you're, thank you're you never so controversial at all. But again, loves you on social media. Oh yeah. But, but I mean, but again, it's like, it's one of those things where like, you know, you have to take what you do know and you have to report the best you can with what you know. And, 100%. and, and I think the other side of that too, and I think you've been good about this, 
just in this conversation, what I've seen you do is when you are wrong about a detail or when you, when you could exaggerate and you hold back in that moment, you know, that's where, that's where I think there's an incredible amount of credibility just to people listening. Um, And I think you're in the same boat as me. Like, I understand that's a possibility, but the message is important. So I'm going to keep sharing it. Um, But I also think too, like, I think the credibility that comes with saying like, oh, hey, I said, yeah, I just did this recently. I said that at this time period, the college knew this, but they didn't, you know. And so I I corrected myself. And Mm -hmm. I think if you can show that intent to be truthful, I think that's going to get you a long way. But that's a big rabbit trail. Again, I'm not a lawyer, so don't, (laughs) don't, don't. Start saying stuff and then, you know, call me and be like, hey, you well, said. Eric told me this. You said this is what Eric talk. told me. But, I, but I, think, I think it's important. I think all of that stuff really matters. And I think like I, even you saying, you know, hey, to Agape's credit about this or about that. Yeah. I think when you do say this is where it went too far, it gives a lot of credibility there. Mm-hmm. Um, what a rabbit trail. But, uh, yeah. but yes, so, <laughs> so, so what led to you kind of – turning. So you, you got this pastoral job, you left, you're probably in the moment going like, thank goodness, you know, that was getting super weird. And I'm glad that we're, we're out. But, but at what point, you know, you're taking over a church, you know, obviously that's a pretty time consuming task when you first get there and never stops being a time consuming task. So what kind of flipped you back around to say like, I need to talk about this. Like, this is something that I need to be open about um, my time at Agape. That was, um, we, we, we never stopped that the whole time, this whole past couple of years we've tried. Um, we've talked, I've talked to three reporters. Um, I could not tell you the name of the newspapers for the life of me anymore. Um, and I, I wish I could remember their names, but I can't, uh, who wanted to start an investigation into Agape, uh, from the Missouri area, one from St. Louis, one from Kansas city and one from somewhere else. I'm not sure if it's Kansas city star or some other paper. I couldn't tell you that. Um, but, um, and we gave them stories and it led nowhere. Okay, so we and we've been trying, and um, I, I multiple times I got I called I told the students on on some different agape students page, hey man, we got someone who wants to look into it. Let's go for it. Let's go for it. Let's go for it. And eventually, around 2017, 2018, uh, at the most recent time that happened, students would be like, this isn't going to happen. We're not getting any traction. Nothing's going to be done. Uh, and uh, and student interest and student thought, you know, even with this whole Kansas City Star article i was like hey guys we got this going on this is going to happen and i just talked to a reporter and they were like oh okay okay well we'll we'll, we'll believe it when we see it is what what the whole mindset was so we never really stopped in fact just this morning uh, i i was on my phone on my iphone and i I had notes um that was gonna that was gonna if i needed them i was gonna write and so i just took my search bar notes from agape uh and my in my search bar and i found something i had written a uh, huge thing of notes, the good and the bad thing of notes that I written, wrote in 2015, hmm. in, um, in May of 2015, just a couple months after I left, that I was really pushing out there. This is where the goods, this was the bad of, uh, of Agape. Hmm. These were things they did right, and these are the things they did wrong. And so um, um, we never stopped. You know, so, so I, to answer your question, <laughs> um, we're just happy it's starting to get traction now. Yeah. Um, and we're just happy that the fight is going on. Like I told some other students just a couple of days ago, some former students of mine, I said, Hey, you know, the, the fight is still going on. There's stuff happening, but we're at least we're at least we're in a fight now yeah. before we weren't even in the ring. And now we're in the ring. Yeah. So um, what, what do you think kind of 
push, you know, pushed over the edge to where people started talking about it. Was it, you know, cause I know Amanda got a ton of traction really early yeah, on. Did. Was that kind of what flipped the switch as far as like press interest, do you feel like, or do you think it's just, mm-hmm. they had talked to you so many times that they decided to start doing a story? Like what, what was kind of the. I think, um, and I, I think Agape was right in one sense in, in the most recent article, uh, the reporters who covered that the school in Florida, the one Hannah went to, I can't remember the name of it. Oh, Lighthouse. 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 Uh, Got a Pulitzer Prize for for doing this article against this trouble against this school, and it got shut down and all that. So I think that, and I want to be careful of what I say. I, I think some of the news reporters are trying to chase that Pulitzer Prize, mm. and trying to chase that next big story. Um, seeing what happened in Florida, uh, that's when the conversation about Circle of Hope and the conversation about Agape started happening. So I I, I can't. I can't say that there's not a, um, a tie-in there. I know Paris Hilton with Breaking Code Silence has been a real big uh, push on it as well. Getting that celebrity face on the movement is huge. It's huge. Mm-hmm. I've talked to uh, her people, uh, and I've given an, interview, an hour-long interview with her people. And, and uh, you know, I'm, I don't even know. I wasn't able to be at Agape a couple last week, and I wish I could have been. Yeah. Um, but but uh, I, I had a, a funeral I had to perform. So um, the um, – I, I think that's what really pushed the fight to the next level. But hey, you know, I don't know what their newest people's perspective was. All I know is they wrote the article that we got before the Missouri House. Uh, they just released that the Missouri, Missouri Attorney General uh, is looking into Circle of Hope. They just announced that yesterday, mm-hmm. which is a huge win. And the yeah. governor of Missouri wants something to be done about this. So what you see now, because it's article, no matter their motives behind writing the article, yeah. uh, is you see actual traction being done. And you see really what's been encouraging is a bipartisan effort to get something done mm-hmm. uh, in the state of Missouri. So we know something's going to be done. And now it's just a question of how far are they going to go uh, in their restrictions and in their uh, uh, legislation. Right. And, and this is important too. And I, I, I'm actually glad that you just made that statement about like, regardless of the intention of the reporters, because this is a conversation I've had, you know, I, I'm an outsider to the, you know, the troubled teen community, Amanda back in February or March kind of told me, cause I only knew about Agape and mm-hmm. I knew the PR version of Agape and she was kind of like, well, there's like thousands of schools like this. And I was like, yeah. I had no idea. Um, but that, that said, um, one thing that I've, I've just noticed, it, and this is with, I would say with that, within the survivor community of the trouble teen industry, within, um, within survivors of the IFB, like who've experienced abuse is a lot of times there can be these like pockets of, well, I don't want to associate with this big, push because you know because it's coming from so and so who i think their intentions are this and you know i saw this with the paris Hilton thing a lot uh within the within the troubled team community and again and this is not me saying because i'll probably take some heat over this i'm not saying that you're not entitled to your feeling about it and again i i wouldn't even put myself in the same category i understand i'm an outsider and i don't have any of the trauma associated with that world whatsoever um so I know that it's easier for me to talk about it, but you know, I was not, a, I'm not a Paris Hilton super fan. I mean, I've, I'm, I've become one in the last three months. <laughs> um, it's super funny, but like, but like, I didn't care what Paris Hilton did. She was another 
or celebrity that I just didn't follow. I mean, there's people, yeah. celebrities that I would be super psyched if, you know, they jumped on board with certain things. And, but like mm-hmm. the, the Paris Hilton thing, I got very excited because she used her platform to speak out about it. And yeah. I think there were a lot of people who got in the mode of, well, she's just, you know, whatever. I don't even think this stuff's true just based on my conversations. Like I, but like, she's just using this to launch a rebrand. She's just doing that, all these things. And so like, I don't want to be associated. Why are we focused on Provo? Why are we doing this? And, and you know, the conversations that I've had, you know, I'm just like, who cares? Like at at the end of the day, and again, I'm being, I want to be careful. I say this, but like at the end of of the day, even if she is, which again, I don't think, I mean, she obviously listened to every episode, but you know, if she was to listen to this, like, I'm not, I don't believe that's true. I think that she legitimately experienced pretty traumatic mm-hmm. stuff and of course. now yeah, is speaking out about it. Um, and I, and you know, I personally, I think that's where it's at, but even if I applied the most cynical frame to all of it and said like, mm-hmm. Oh, she's exaggerating. She wants attention, blah, blah, blah. All the stuff that people are, are throwing out even beyond that community and into just the mainstream media at the end of the day, the platform is still there and still giving yes. a boost to the story. And I would yes. say the same thing with reporters, you know, like there's, Correct. you know, there's a lot of times where I've talked with survivors of abuse within the IFB movement, like outside of the trouble team world and church world. Well, the newspaper's just doing this because they want a big story. I'm like, yeah, but isn't that the point of sharing at all is to get a big story out there. So who cares? That's the point of investigative journalism. That's right. The point. Right. Who cares if they're sharing to get their Pulitzer, like you're sharing to get your story out, let the two work mm-hmm. in, in uh in tandem yeah yeah in tandem and so i I just thought it was good you said that and i think it is important like you have to accept the platforms that come and is it perfect like do i wish that you know do i wish that i didn't need a buzzfeed to like get my story out do i wish that like (laughs) i was i had multi-million you know subscribers that were begging to hear more of course like obviously want the biggest possible platform but when those you'll get there yeah, when those places reach out to you, um, you've got to take those opportunities to share your story. And um, yeah. I mean, I did do a forty-five minute interview with BuzzFeed, and they 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 uh, they kind of uh, they kind of uh, stabbed me a little bit because they uh, they did they did a like huge article, like a really big article, and I gave a ton of information that they used in the article, and they they mentioned me a podcast that discusses church abuse. <laughs> And I was oh, like, oh, I was like, come on. I was, I had, I had literally called. Give like, me the name. Yeah. I called two people. Um, cause I like with anything oh, like that, I'm always like, I just keep it to myself. Cause I don't want to ever jinx myself. I'm very superstitious about that. And I just think if, whenever you tell someone something big's going to happen, it never happens. So, so yeah. I, I, uh, I had called my mom and I had, I had told my wife and I had called, uh, one other person who I work with a lot. And I said, I'm not saying anything. I'm just telling you guys, BuzzFeed set up an interview with me. I said, and they're doing a huge article. Like, and this is not BuzzFeed contributor. This is like BuzzFeed, BuzzFeed. And then like the article came out. I'm like, I did the first thing. I just scrolled through. It's like opening a birthday card and looking for money. And I like scroll through. I'm like, I did. Uh, the I don't City see article, it. Same thing. I, I was like, I don't see it. So I got to just read the whole thing. Maybe they just like interlaced it throughout. And then I read it and I got to the line a podcast and the podcast was like a little link that went out to like my like URL. And I was like, 
oh, <laughs> it's like that's not like that's not what I expected. But uh, I thought the same thing with the Kansas City article. You know, the, the quotes they put in there weren't the big ones that I I personally wanted yeah. to be in there. You know, and I was like, I'm I was, and then, and then they went to it, and I'll I'll be honest, I, I was so happy how Kansas Star did it. I was so happy because they put it right on the front page. But before they posted, I'm like, they they are putting it out the weekend of the contested election. What in the world? Right. I'm thinking we're going to be a blip on the back page, but then oh, I, yeah. I saw they they put it on the front page. I was really happy about that, and yeah. I, I was really happy how they did the article on there. But yeah, but they did an amazing <laughs> job with it. Yeah, amazing. I mean, it, it was really good. Um, so just kind of you know looking to the future. I mean, obviously your focus is primarily agape because that's kind of where of you're at. Um, what do you? What's your view on like? the industry, like there's a lot of talk about the troubled teen industry. And a lot of that has come from obviously the, the Paris Hilton doc is addressing, you know, now starting to go broad, breaking code silence is doing that. Amanda, mm-hmm. uh, Hannah's work with her, yes, her stuff. Um, it's, a, it's addressing the industry as a whole. Obviously you still have a lot of that desire to help, you know, younger people to help teens who are, you know, tr- quote unquote troubled. Um, I know there's a lot of baggage with that title, but like they're troubled yes. teens. Um, do you think that the industry itself is just kind of fundamentally flawed and needs to be done away with? Or do you think there just needs to be a sweeping reform within these homes? Like what's your kind of goal, I guess, in this kind of advocacy? I, I, uh, I, I would say both, you know, I think some schools need to be shut down. Mm-hmm. Um, but I would, I would be happy with sweeping reform, government mm-hmm. legislative reform out when I talk to people about Agape, you know, if God, I understand closing the school down is not going to be easy. Circle of Hope was way worse than Agape. I'll give, I'll, I'll say that. Yeah. You know, from what I've read about Circle of Hope, uh, right. it was way worse. Uh, I don't think that Agape is going to be shut down for those type of things. But Agape and schools of the like, they need to have state legislation to make sure their kids, their residents are being properly taken care of. This isn't a juvenile detention home at yeah. all this isn't jail it is a private funded school and you need to make sure that these kids have proper education because that's the state's responsibility to do to make sure kids have proper education you need to make sure that these kids are not being hurt abused and they got to make sure that these kids are are eating properly if this if this is where they're going to be are they mm-hmm. eating properly when they get sick are they getting proper medical care do they have staff that should not be working with children based upon um, you know, a false, ba- bad background check. Do they have some some staff who have questionable backgrounds? Mm. Who um, and are the staff licensed to be able to deal with teenagers? Right. The, the, yeah. the, these staff they they really have college educations to deal with youth. Yeah. They a lot of them are retired pastors or former pastors or um, someone who just needed somewhere to go, yeah. and with no desire to work with youth, they just ended up there. Yeah. And while they may love the boys, do they know how to take care of troubled teenage boys? Right. It doesn't matter and if you're well-intentioned. Yeah. It, right. if Intentions don't, don't matter. Handle it. Yeah. Um, Intentions don't matter at all. Right. That's a conversation I've had with, with Hannah all the time. You know, while people may have good intentions, intentions don't matter if the job is done poorly. Right. Yeah. A hundred percent. And I guess uh, just one last thing I want to ask, since you are, currently a pastor and you know one of the 
one of the big pushbacks with uh, too much government oversight is, you know, will it affect our liberty to do, you know, A, B, or C within these homes to, you know, do Bible memorization, to teach Bible classes, um, to teach Bible classes. Um, do you do you think there is a place for religious exemption within these homes, or is it something where you think that religious exemption is more often than not a license to, you know? to do whatever you want. It's kind of the wild, wild west situation in a lot of places. Mm -hmm. um, I, I really believe that they can have legislation that lets the, that, that lets the school have the religious liberty, which I'm hundred percent for, you know, without sacrificing um, proper care. Mm. Uh, you know, I, I, I'll be honest. I don't believe, you know, us making sure kids aren't being abused classifies as government overreach. Right. Um, I don't, that, that, that's like, that, that's a state making sure its citizens are kept safe. Um, it says her minors are kept safe. You know, you have a public school and here's some of these abuses going down in a public school. What would happen to that public school? They would get in trouble. People would be arrested, right. but this is a private school. So they get a religious exemption because, Oh, they're allowed to slam kids or they're allowed to beat up kids or they're allowed to get mad. You you're in a public school and you have a kid that's getting yelled in the face by a teacher, that teacher is going to get some heat, not mm -hmm. at agape. Right. And, uh, um, like I said, we, we didn't even touch ACE that curriculum right there and, <laughs> and how horrible that. And I'm sure most, uh, most people, uh, or, or I'd say a good majority of our listeners who are from the IFB are very familiar with ACE. Mm -hmm. I, I dodged that bullet and actually got a really, I mean, I, comparatively i feel like i got a pretty good education um but yeah ace is a, a mess unto itself in fact my my grandfather's brother-in-law was the vice president uh of, of ace no way fun fact so i didn't really know him too well at all so it's not no. like i but i found that out when i started working at agape and told my grandpa oh there's an ace oh really that's what my uh not, uh, not brother-in-law sorry cousin cousin uh, huh. uh cousin's husband was uh um the vice president of ace yeah so. super weird yeah no i mean ac is <laughs> yeah it's its own mess um and i i mean I, I know guys that took that who literally struggled with like spelling like like grammar like just basic yep. education stuff because it's it's not i mean it's literally just do it yourself school and school is not i mean people debate even if like the traditional school classroom is helpful but like sitting a kid down i know me like if i had done ace i would have bombed out of every i would still be in high school now yeah me too yeah um but and, but yeah. and i and i did paces i did paces when i was at agape i did i i did some of them just uh yeah. just to, that, that's how i learned trig that's why i had to teach myself trigonometry so i could teach kids trigonometry <laughs> but uh, <laughs> so very qualified um no awesome so yeah. i i know you mentioned beforehand i do want to just bring it up but you'd, you'd mentioned beforehand you're working on a project to kind of share your story in like a longer format. Can you just talk a little right. bit about what you and your wife are working on and kind of when we can expect to maybe see some of that? Of course. Um, yeah, there, uh, my wife and I are working on a new project. We don't have a title for it yet, but it's going to be a book about our time at Agape. And, uh, and I, we are trying to be very, very careful with staff and student privacy. We're not using names. We're using, uh, we're using f false names uh, for this, but we're going to tell our story of the things we saw. Uh, stuff we experienced and my wife's going to tell it from her side of perspective and I'm going to be in touch with some former students as well mm. to write little experts of it as well so it's stuff that they went through especially the ones that did go through abuses that did go through traumas you know I want to get their insert in here you know where I write it from my perspective 
and then the student gives it from their perspective. That way we get the full story right. of what happened. Um, but yeah, it's going to be a, a book format. I am debating on releasing it chapter by chapter on uh, on some author site, and mm. uh, and until the until the uh, project is complete, and then releasing it in a hard format. That because I know we have traction right now with the, with the um, uh, with Agape and with the schools that like. Right. Do I want to wait six months to a year before something comes out, or can we start putting out the story now? Right. But um, the introduction's done. The first couple of chapters is done. My wife is working on the editing of them, and uh, hopefully. Um, we will have it out um, at least in part uh, pretty soon within the next couple of weeks. Right. So, and no. of course, this is the first time we're announcing it anywhere. I haven't put it on any platform. It's an exclusive. I have not told anybody about exclusive. The Pulitzer is in my grasp. So, <laughs> but uh, no, that's awesome. Well, um, yeah. thank you so much for for sharing that, and I definitely look forward to that. And I mean, it's. I think, uh, I mean, now you're a TikTok superstar, so you know your sales are going <laughs> to be pretty insane. Uh, Go through the roof. That's right. But uh, <laughs> but no. Well, well. Thanks so much for taking some time uh, to to kind of sit down and talk about this. And obviously, you know, once the book's out, I'd love to love to chat some more about it. But um, yeah. But uh, yeah, I'm I'm looking forward to seeing seeing what happens. And obviously, there's some big stuff. I mean, Missouri, there's some huge yeah. stuff happening with uh, some of the legislation. So I've actually reached out to. Um, I'm blanking on her name. Uh, she did a pre-recorded speech for the event. Um, but I've, I'm trying to get her on to talk more of the legal side of everything, but, uh, yeah, it's, a it's a lot happening, a lot moving and, uh, look forward to keeping up and seeing what you guys are doing. Yeah. Praise the Lord. Thank you for listening to the preacher boys podcast. If you appreciated the content on the show, please leave a review on iTunes and don't forget to connect with us on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter with the handle at Preacher Boys Doc. Additional information can always be found on PreacherBoysDoc.com. You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, activities, excursions, and more in one place to make your trip truly unforgettable. Viator has over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from. Everything from simple tours to extreme adventures and all the niche, interesting stuff in between. So you can plan something that everyone you're traveling with will enjoy. Real traveler reviews give the inside scoop from people who've already been on the experiences you're considering. So you can plan with confidence. Free cancellation helps you plan for the unexpected. And 24-7 customer support means you can travel worry-free. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.